Hey, y'all, Cable here, and this week's podcast probably brought to you by PhoneScope. If you don't have a PhoneScope, you need to get one. Let me tell you why. If you hunt, well, or maybe you just like to birdwatch. Although, if you birdwatch, I don't know why you're listening to this show. Maybe you hunt and you birdwatch. Either way, if you like to scout for things to shoot, or if you like to just look at and record wildlife, their attachment locks on to your spotting scope or binos. All you do? Hook your phone up to it, and you are now recording through your phone what your optic is picking up, whether that's 300 yards away or 1,000. It's crystal clear, and it couldn't be any easier. Go to Phonescope.com to order your Phonescope today, and you'll save 10% if you use the promo code LONESTAR. That's right. Tell them I sent you and save 10% off your Phonescope order today. Well, Covey. Took wing, shotgun singing, a pointing dog down in the old logging road. And Danny got three and looked back grinning. I fumbled around and I tried to reload. The country was cold. Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Of course, it be the bird hunters it's opening weekend of dove season for the north and central zones so there's one of my favorites from turnpike troubadours coming at you as we are rocking and rolling here on the lone star outdoors show i'm your host cable smith uh sorry about you folks down in the south zone y'all still have a couple weeks to go yet uh, but it'll be here before you know it and i tell you what it felt so good to shake the rust off of that trigger finger yesterday uh it really did <laughs> i cannot believe hunting season is here but all that being said, uh, it's it's with a heavy heart that we are broadcasting today after seeing what has happened to our fellow Texans down on the Texas coast and, and obviously Houston with the incredible flooding resulting from Hurricane Harvey. I mean, people have lost their houses, their pets. Uh, many have lost their lives, and I'm afraid that that number is just going to keep climbing. Uh, but... The response by not just Texans, but the country in general, from the first responders to the, the folks who have just donated money and resources has been overwhelming. Sadly for me, uh, due to childcare, I couldn't get down there to help. So I sat up here looking at everything that was going on and feeling really helpless. Is, you know, what could I do to make a difference? So anyway, uh, designed a T-shirt for you guys and gals to show your support of the victims and all the proceeds are going to the Salvation Army Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund. It's available on viral style. The link to order uh, is posted in all of my uh, social media accounts and website. I think it's 25 bucks. It's a blue shirt with a red Texas on it. It says Texas Strong with the date of the hurricane on the back. It has our logo and you can pick one up, like I said, all the proceeds going to that Salvation Army Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund. So check that out, and also uh, be sure to keep, <laughs> just keep Texas as a whole in your thoughts and prayers, because this is just the tip of the iceberg. Anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Off the top, we'll be joined by one of those first responders, our good friend Bo Saucier of Outlaw Outfitters, a longtime duck hunting and uh, dove hunting buddy of mine and the shows. Um, he went down there. I believe Monday, with his duck boat, and the things that he saw and witnessed um, are going to blow you away. Uh, just sheer panic and uh, chaos, but 
hey, they made a difference. That Cajun Army, our friends from Louisiana, headed over there, a hundred boats strong, and uh, and they saved a lot of lives. So, Bo will be here. We'll get into uh, what he saw firsthand uh, down there in Houston this week. Then we'll shift gears, and uh, we'll talk some conservation with the new incoming executive director of Dallas Safari Club, the recently hired Corey Mason. Uh, you might recognize that name. He comes over from uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife after a long career over there. And we'll get into why Corey decided to make the switch to DSC, what he is looking most forward to, and uh, his vision for where he sees the club going uh, here in the next few years. So exciting stuff coming up with our old friend Corey Mason, uh, who, <laughs> uh, oddly enough, used to be the Dove program leader for Texas Parks and Wildlife. So we have a long history with Corey. Should be good stuff. Then we'll wrap up today's broadcast by spending a couple interviews with New York Times best-selling author Ryan Kleckner, uh, also a former Army Ranger sniper. And we'll get into his recent article, Get Your Ass Off the Bench, which was featured in the premier issue of Carnivore Magazine. And it's uh, basically all about different shooting positions that you might need to practice for in-the-field application. And basically we're saying, hey, shooting a quarter-inch group at 100 yards at the range is nice to get your scope zeroed, you know, your rifle dialed in, but that's not practical in the field. So we'll walk through some different positions, tactics, and tips that might help you execute that shot in the field this season on, you know, maybe you bust up a giant mule deer out of his bed and you have a split second to either take that shot or you don't. And also, should you lower your expectations about the kill zone? Do you have to put it right on the money or is that kill zone bigger than, than we think it is? So should be interesting. I'm certainly looking forward to that. Uh, don't forget a couple other things. Anyway, moving along here. Uh, our our 12 monthly photo of the month winners will square off at the end of this year for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch. Another great grand prize hunt offered up by Coons Canyon Ranch. Uh, and then uh, what else are we doing? Uh, yeah, got a quick giveaway here. I've got a a four pack of Slick Trick broadheads. These are 125 grain magnums. Archery season's right around the corner. One of y'all is going to win uh, a four-pack of broadheads, valued like 40 bucks. So all you have to do, text in the word broadhead, that's broadhead, to 214-289-7807, and you could win these Slick Trick broadheads. Let's take a break. Up next, uh, we'll be joined by first responder and uh, duck and dove outfitter Bo Saucier of Outlaw Outfitters right here on the Lone Star East to West, but no matter where we go, we like Texas women best, cause they're from Texas. They do things their way. Yeah, they're from Texas, buddy, and they're still their dying Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The system hog trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. 
Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. It's a fire in your belly that says we're going to make it. It's a tattered old flag that says come and take it. It's a lone star We're Texas like that, all right. My good buddy Zane Williams bringing us back here on the Lone Star Outdoors show. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you guys and gals for being here on what normally would be a a glorious weekend, the opening of of dove season in the north and central zones, but it's hard to get excited about hunting when so many of our fellow Texans have been displaced from their homes. Many of them lost everything. Others lost their lives, and that body count is continuing to rise. So trying times for our great state, but a massive thank you to out-of-staters who have come in and helped, to all the folks who have donated. Um, Every bit counts, and it is so much appreciated. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you for being here today as uh, we hope that, hey, maybe by talking a little hunting and fishing, hey, maybe we can uh, go to a happy place if if only for uh, a little bit. So thanks for being here today. Um, We are... All set to jump into it with, well, this isn't going to take us to a happy place because our first guest is a first responder uh, to the flooding in Houston. Uh, but before we jump into it with our friend Bo Saucier of Outlaw Outfitters, this segment of the show is brought to you by the brand new Scent Blaster. If you're looking for a way to get your scent out and you're tired of dried wicks, hey, check out the Scent Blaster. All you do is Fill up the two-ounce container with your favorite attractant. You turn on the internal fan, and you hang it in a tree, and you are ready to rock and roll no matter if you're hunting hogs, deer, predators, or, hey, if you're in a place where you can hunt bears, put your favorite sweet smell in there. What you're hunting doesn't matter to us. We don't even care what brand attractant you use or if you make your own. The Scent Blaster is just a better mousetrap. There is nothing out there like it, and I guarantee you, you will see results if you order one online at ScentBlaster.net. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and bring him on right now. Like I said, our longtime friend, someone that I've spent quite a few days with in the dove field and in the duck blind, Bo Saucier of Outlaw Outfitters. Thanks for being here, man. Well, Bo, man, welcome back to the show, brother. Hey, thanks for having us. It's uh, It's been a while, but it's certainly good to visit with you. And uh, when I saw your, your Facebook uh, post, I figured I uh, needed to get you on the show just to kind of talk about the sites and um, 
scenes and what you've experienced down in the Houston area this past week. So what day did you first go down there? We got down there and linked up with the Spring Fire Department on Monday around mid-morning. Uh-huh. And was there just uh, on, on uh, the highway, was it just littered with, with trucks pulling boats going towards Houston? Man, not not on uh, not on Monday when we got down there. You know, Tuesday and Wednesday, and man, it, it was that's when that's when everyone i guess i guess the the people who live further away and not really paying attention to the news like the gravity started to hit people and uh uh people really started showing up to the point where uh they were turning away boats on uh, as early as tuesday afternoon they were turning away boats at uh like critical areas just because there's number one no place for people to uh their truck and trailer anymore and uh number two just i mean there's just so many people and they uh they just they were having a hard time dealing with the logistics of so many people i guess uh-huh. uh so so to that me, it didn't, to me it didn't make any sense at the time to turn away another vessel to put on the water but uh, i guess they were doing what they had to do but yeah uh, uh tuesday morning was a different story we uh we were able to clear out four or five different neighborhoods and uh, you know, take a take a lot of people out of their second story uh, houses. What and, area uh, were you in? We were in the area of Spring, Texas, Spring. Uh, operating oh. around a Willow Creek golf course on Friday or no, that was no, I'm sorry, Monday morning, and and then Tuesday morning we were in uh, around Anderson Elementary School in that area uh, in Spring. And we cleared out all those neighborhoods and used the elementary school as like a, a little a little relief point. And uh, people were shuttling them out in and out of there, cars and trucks, and taking taking people to the shelters. So yeah, and was, and, and what what are most of the shelters? What do they consist of right now? Uh, to tell you the truth, man, uh, I mean it's the civic centers and the high schools and the elementary schools. Any try that has the capacity to shelter, house, and feed uh, any, uh, yeah, a, new, a, a number of people. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think people realize the severity or the, the long-term implications. Yeah, a lot of these people have been rescued to safety. But, uh, I mean, Houston is the fourth largest city in the country. And, the I mean, it is the mecca for all of our energy from, uh, you know, obviously the biggest refineries there, I think over a third of our, our nation's oil is refined there, stored there. Uh, so Correct. this is uh, this is nowhere near, even close to being over. But I mean, these people—who knows if, how long they're going to have to be uh, holed up in these high schools? Um, I, I just—I I can't imagine. When, it, when you see it, when you see it with your own eyes, when you when you on the the overpass looking uh, south on. 59 or uh, 45 uh-huh. and it's just look it's just a huge lake uh, of moving water and debris and you can see the skyline of Houston in the background and it's just all underwater it looks it looks like the lost city of Atlantis back there you know that's insane yeah so you've got obviously uh you've got outlaw outfitters and you've got your duck boat I imagine I mean, that's what you took down there correct yeah, we took the we took the twenty foot uh, go devil uh-huh. down there, and uh, the the surface drives have been invaluable. 
just because it's easier to get close to the house with them. And, uh, yeah. and number one, I mean, who cares if you run your duck boat over the roof of a car or over a brick mailbox? It doesn't matter. Right. Uh, these guys in, the, in some in some bass boats are tearing their stuff up pretty bad. But those flat-bottom aluminum boats, man, they just uh, – you can't mess with that down here. And they, they handle all over really well. So, well, and, well, and God bless the guys who are willing to tear their, their crap up, their bass boats. I mean, uh, just – yeah. You know, and and I know you're a native uh, Louisianan, so you're part of the Cajun Navy, even though you you call North Texas home now. That's uh, correct. And that was an, that was touching to see. It was over a hundred trucks when this happened. I mean, I get chills just thinking about it. Uh, these our friends in Louisiana just. Well, I read the quote from one, one guy. He said, "Well, I have a perfectly good boat in my driveway, so I couldn't sleep at night knowing that people needed it." So off they went. It's, it's just like uh, it's just like I've said numerous times, man. You get people who put their duty face on, and amazing things happen. Uh, and man, just because you don't have a boat, and just because you don't have the assets, you know that that you know to to go pull these people out off their roofs and out of their off their front porches and all that. Uh, the the hard work, the hard work that's not fun or adventuresome or uh, doesn't get your adrenaline up. All that's yet to yet to come. When this water finally goes down, the, uh, there's going to be plenty of sheetrock that needs to come down. There's going to be plenty of insulation that needs to get pulled. There's going to be plenty of people that still need a place to stay. Uh, just because the, the just because the uh, the the rescuing part's over, man, it's a, it's going to be a long recovery recovery for all of us. Yeah. Well, and, and as of today, I mean, there's still folks that need rescuing. So uh, they've been going days now without, I don't know, or most is the power out in all these houses where people are flooded? No. Uh, we saw we saw air conditioners still running, uh, that the fans were at the level of the water, and it looked like a, uh, it looked like a, a, a mallard machine or something just sitting there just, you know, spraying waves up in the, in the water, man. It was... Uh, it was crazy. I didn't think they'd run like that. I want you to. I want to touch on a point, man. Uh, that like all this help that comes from all these different directions. There's only so many places you can get to, based on how you approach Houston. Uh-huh. If you're coming from DFW down 45, like the only place you can really get to is that northeast, uh, northwest area, and there's only and there's such a plethora of people doing that. If you really want to get to another area from the DFW area, if you want to get to South Houston or the western part or east or the east part, you have to go way around and you have to find a route. And you're going to have to get the uh, the Zello app and find out where they need you on uh, on that on that on that little on that app. Mm-hmm. Well, so so Monday and Tuesday, you guys were able to pull out quite a few families, entire neighborhoods rescued. What was the most uh, heart-wrenching thing that you saw? The heart-wrenching thing is is the panic that the, that these, you see in these people. They're, you pull up to their their $700,000 house in your, in your old beat-up duck boat. You tie it up to the, their front porch, and a deputy on your boat says, you got to leave your house, you got to come with me. And just the, the panic that, that, that that sets in, man. They, uh, 
they get argumentative. They 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 tell you that your boat's messing up their lawn when it's it's floating on top of their lawn, mm-hmm. you know. And you just gotta disregard it, and that that's disheartening. Hmm. But uh, just the, just the panic and seeing what these people are losing, uh, combined with uh, just I mean just the how big the scope of this thing is. I mean, when you look at all of the Houston metropolitan area that's that's flooded, it's it's like six million people. It's 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 insane. It's a it's the worst it's the worst thing I've I've ever uh, tried to have wrap my mind around in uh, in my in my thirty five years. Yeah, yeah. Well, and now I mean, now we've got like even the fringe cities. I mean, you were in spring outside of Houston. Uh, I know the woodlands, parts of Conroe, all that was evacuated, uh, and that's heading. You know, that's heading back more north and then like beaumont now is i mean it's reached all the way there beaumont's so. beaumont's actually where we're headed right now uh we're going to link up with a uh, fire department in uh north ponderosa uh that's got a national guard contingent with them uh they requested my boat so that's where we're headed so uh-huh. okay uh, we're gonna link up with them and uh hopefully hopefully get into beaumont uh with no problems Wow. Okay, man. It's touching. And I'll say this, Bo, when you look at the pictures, you know what you see? You see camo. That's what you see. You see camo duck boats. You see, you see bass boats. You see uh, CCA Texas caps, whether they're Louisiana or Texas. You see Costa Del Mar t-shirts because it's hunters and anglers that are coming to these people's aid. While all the Priuses are headed north, everyone with a truck and a boat is headed south to help it's touched me in a way that i've never been more proud to be a hunter or or an angler in my life than to see the response from uh you know our peers like you me and there was there was one time we were were offloading uh, a bunch of people at the anderson elementary in spring and me and this other guy we kind of looked at each other and uh he was in a big bow fishing rig a nice boat man and uh Everyone, everyone's stuff's getting beat up and scraped out, and props busted, you know, just, and oh, me sure. and that guy just looked at each other and we said the same thing you said, man. I said, man, dude, this is the day that, that, uh, that outdoorsmen came together and saved the city. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's simple as that. It's simple as that. Uh, and I'm not, you know, not knocking, uh, knocking anyone for any decision they made, but I mean, I mean, by and large, you you know you didn't see the the the, the wakeboarding boats and all that, that you know out there. Like you said, it was the it was the fishing boats and it was the duck boats and it was the bow fishing. And it's not. And everyone says, man, this is how we roll in the South. It's not just the South that's down here, man. We ran into guys. I ran into a guy. He came from South Dakota and bought a boat on his way down in like Kansas. Incredible. They, I mean, they just people just showed up to buying boats on their way down here to, to help. Well, hell, Bass Pro Shops, I saw just clean, they, the, all the boats they had at their, I guess, the closest location. I think they had 80 boats. They uh, they just said, here, take these. And and then uh, I don't know which location that was. I just saw the news the news release. And, and basically all of the protein, peanuts, uh, beef jerky, everything they had in the store, they gave to the uh, volunteers for food. You talk about Bass Pro and, and doing something like that. I mean, they're outdoors just like the rest of us. They, you know, we're doing what we can. They're doing what they can. Yeah. You know? And that's and hats off to them for it. Yeah. Well, hey, man, uh, I appreciate the firsthand account of, of what you've seen and, and been a part of down there. Uh, everybody just, just keep that whole area in your prayers. And we, I mean, shoot, we haven't 
even talked about the hurricane. We just talked about the flooding. I mean, Port Aransas and Rockport just got obliterated, and uh, those are two places that mean a lot to me, and I've spent a lot of time in. So, uh, yep. it's uh, it's heart it's heartbreaking. So, it it is, man. And I'm afraid we haven't even this this monster hasn't even reared its ugly head yet. We don't we don't know. We don't, you know, we're not going to know what a final casualty count or anything like that until it until it's all said and done. And, yeah. You know, yeah. This is uh, this is the biggest news since 9/11. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. So, well, we appreciate what you're doing, man, and uh, everyone else um, that, that headed down there, and, and folks who are just donating money. If you can't make it down there, whatever, you, whatever you can do, every little bit helps. So, all right, well, be safe, man. Thanks again. Bye, man. Uh, there he goes, our good friend Bo Saucier of uh, Outlaw Outfitters and the Cajun Navy. I think they still have some. Uh, Dove season leases available, by the way, if you want to check them out if you're in the North Texas area. Uh, otherwise, they do some uh, phenomenal duck hunting as well. But uh, thanks to Bo and everyone else who went down there uh, as first responders and, and helped make a difference, saving lives. <laughs> uh, that segment of the show proudly brought to you by IOTA Outdoors. Check out the Crux backcountry rifle stock. It's what I am taking with me uh, on an elk hunt coming up here later this fall. It weighs in at 27 ounces. That's perfect for the backcountry hunter. You can find it right there at IOTA Outdoors, and you'll save 10% if you use the promo code Lone Star. So basically any of our sponsors, if you use the promo code Lone Star, I bet you they'll give you 10% off. Uh, But check it out, iotaoutdoors.com. All right, uh, let's take a break. Up next, we'll check in with an old friend. He is the incoming executive director of Dallas Safari Club after uh, an illustrious career with Texas Parks and Wildlife. Corey Mason drops by right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. So what do you do with good old boys like In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. I check the shed, I check the barn, I open the door and there she was in the arms of my friend Joe and she wasn't wearing Smith bringing us back here on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Katie is the name of that one there. I'm Cable Smith. Uh, thanks to our title sponsor, Dallas Safari Club, as well as Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players uh, for making this show possible, as always. Hope you all are having a great week, all things considered. Um, 
I honestly don't see how that's possible. So I hope you had an okay week with uh, Hurricane Harvey, the widespread implications, the hundreds of thousands of displaced Texans. And like I said, uh, I wasn't able to head down there. So I did what I thought was the next best thing and created a uh, Texas Strong Hurricane Harvey relief shirt uh, with our logo on the back. And you can pick one up on Teespring. Uh, they will send it directly to you. Um, I'm not taking any of the proceeds. It's not about me. It's about trying to help out in any small way that you and I can. And so if you want to grab one of those shirts, great. Uh, Teespring will take their $8 or whatever, and then the rest of the $25 shirt will be going directly to the Red Cross and the Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund. Uh, so love for you to uh, to make that kind of a donation and you'll get, hey, you'll get a Lone Star Outdoor Show logo. That might actually decrease the value of the shirt. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, hey, uh, if you can't make fun of yourself, you're doing it wrong. But I appreciate the support from each and every one of you, whether you buy a shirt or not. Maybe you went down to Houston, donated your time, energy, effort, boat, resources. Either way, we're all in this together, and every little bit counts. Okay, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by the all-new Drive Over Chalk. If you're hauling an ATV Jeep, golf cart, or four-wheeler, uh, all you do is just drive your investment over the drive-over chalk, which you install on your flatbed trailer, and boom, it's not going anywhere. So dock it with the drive-over chalk. You can order yours at driveoverchalk.com. Use the promo code CABLE or Lone Star to get free shipping. That's a $50 savings right there. Dock it with the drive-over chalk. Let's bring on our next guest. He is a longtime friend of the show. We've been visiting with Corey Mason for years now, and he's held a variety of positions all the way from uh, Dove program leader to regional director for Texas Parks and Wildlife, but he is taking a major change in career path, and we're going to get into that right now. Exciting times, Corey. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, well, I appreciate it. Great to be here. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, let's go back about seven or so years ago when you first came on the show, because you're a... You're not a newbie by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, what was your job description back then? Yeah, I've had the opportunity to visit with you on a number of things, and I've always appreciated the relationship there. So uh, I've worked for Parks and Wildlife for a number of years. Uh, at that point in time, I was working as a migratory shore uh, and upland game bird program leader, more specifically a dove program leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so about this time, probably seven years ago, we probably did our first uh, like dove forecast as we headed into uh, the season. Uh, and you did that when uh, you got promoted back, uh, what was that? About 2012, I, I moved to East Texas as a mm -hmm. regional director. Uh -huh. Okay. And what were your responsibilities in East Texas? So my, my function here is a regional director uh, and oversaw a staff of 60, uh, including private lands and public land, working with conservation partners. That's what you've been doing since 2012. Um, but going back and just reading your bio a little bit, uh, I understand that you actually guided elk and like mule deer and all dad hunts in New Mexico? I did. Uh, so when I graduated with my bachelor's degree from Stephen F. Austin in wildlife management, uh, I went to work out uh, a Midland-based uh, company uh, with that had some property in the Balmeray area as well as in New Mexico. Uh, and so I was a registered guide in New Mexico, uh, guided hunts uh, primarily for elk, mule deer as well uh, in the Gila, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, across West Texas and Transpecos specifically in Southern Panhandle on some properties there for uh, for all dad, uh, antelope as well, mule deer, uh, birds as well. And, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. Really loved it. 
what would you say was your favorite species to guide for? You know, hunting elk in the Gila on some of those primitive units was was an absolute phenomenal experience. Uh, getting a bull elk in front of myself or a, our hunter there at you know twenty thirty yards with stick and string that's that's pretty hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, well, and the Gila is a legendary unit. I mean, I've uh, I've only had dreams of hunting there. I put in you know for the draw every year and I never get it. So. <laughs> It was a great experience. I mean, we had uh, you know, the quality of animals there is, is, is phenomenal as well. You know, we had the opportunity to take some wonderful animals and just have some great experiences and create a lot of great memories there for sure. Sure. Uh, well, you know, we're thrilled to announce that after extensive, I mean, an extensive and exhausting search from uh, the powers that be at Dallas Safari Club, uh, they think you're the ideal fit to become the club's new direct, uh, executive director. And that takes effect uh, September 5th, right? That is correct. I tell you, I am absolutely privileged and honored uh, to have been selected, and uh, and I'm just elated to work with this board, uh, body of members, conservation partners, industry representatives as well, and I'm, I'm eager to go to work. So, Corey, was it difficult to walk away from Texas Parks and Wildlife after 15-plus years? You know, it was. Uh, the relationships that I have here with colleagues and just the utmost respect for the resource professionals here that are, that are just second to none. Uh, absolutely first-class people, biologists, uh, care about them deeply personally and professionally. And so that was a difficult decision. Uh, it was uh, on the personal side. Uh, on the other side, on my career side, the opportunities to, to work with an organization as prestigious um, as Dallas Safari Club uh, was an opportunity that I was, I was eager to pursue. Right, right. Well, so is there any like anxious or, or nervousness feeling on your side as, as you take on this new challenge? Absolutely. You know, the unknowns are always difficult. Uh, yet at the same time, it's, it's sort of a challenge that I, I eagerly embrace. You know, for, uh, I like to operate at a very fast pace. Uh, I enjoy that type of environment. Uh, but, uh, you know, the unknowns, uh, I, I know many industry partners, uh, many across the U.S. and, and abroad, uh, there'll be many people to meet, a lot of folks to listen to, to hear from, understand their needs, uh, to be able to formulate, to, to move those advocate for through to do as DSC as well. So uh, there's certainly a learning curve ahead of me, no doubt about that. Well, so what excites you the most about taking on uh, this position with Dallas Safari Club? You know, I, I, there's a couple things there. You know, when, when I look very fundamentally at the mission of DSC, you know, I think really the three tenants that you see there woven throughout the mission are are really personally what I'm all about as well. When you just see conservation, you know, in an organization such as DSC, it so strongly supports science-based management and the understanding and the advocacy of the need for well-regulated hunting is a vital, vital part of that. Education, you know, really creating that legacy of future sportsmen and women into the future. Uh, as a father of an eight-year-old daughter, that's very, very important to me. Someone that cares so strongly about wildlife conservation, hunting, etc. That's so important to me. And then lastly, I mean, Again, sort of to reinforce that protecting hunters' rights. I mean, that is that is critical. They're constantly under attack and something that I really embrace. And on the other side of it as well, you know, when I look at DSC as an organization and, and when I see such a strong, strong presence of volunteers, you know, people that just very freely give their time, talents, and abilities to to do to, to volunteer for DSC, something they feel so passionately and so it's so important to them. I mean, that's something I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, yeah, and as you make this this uh, this change, this career change, uh, I will say that not that you're not a public figure with Texas Parks and Wildlife because you are, um, but you're probably a little more protected there, and and probably don't have as much animosity from 
anti-hunters that you're going to feel as you know you take this new position with DSC because uh, you're going to be out there um, in the forefront and in the firing lines, and, and people are going to say nasty things to you. Absolutely, and I have I have uh, had that conversation with my family to prepare and protect them from that. Uh, like you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, I've dealt with some some volatile things in the past, some very hot and sensitive projects that I've had the fortune to work through and work with uh, many many great colleagues on, um, and so have had have, have stood in the firing line numerous times, but recognize that this will be you know on a different side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, I have strong convictions, uh, never afraid to tell the truth based on facts and stand firmly behind it. So, uh, so I, so I look forward to those challenges. Awesome. Well, and you're going to see the club and I'm sure you're aware is kind of, uh, taking a little bit of a, a fresher approach, a, a new direction as far as being more aggressive, uh, more unapologetic about what we do and why and how it is, uh, sustainable use hunting, because that's obviously the key to conservation. And I think uh, we had this, this, uh, conversation with Richard, uh, Cheatham, he's the president of the DSC Foundation. He was on the show recently, and you know, he said, kind of for too long, hunters have just stood on the sidelines and let other people dictate what the term, like you know, take trophy hunter for example, what that means. So it has this negative connotation associated with it, which is really not fair because we're not out there shooting animals, cutting the horns off, and just leaving it there to rot. You know, that's a uh, that's a poacher, <laughs> far from what you or I or any other hunter out there would ever dream of doing. Absolutely. Well, and that very strongly aligns with sort of my philosophy on many things, and that is being proactive, being on the front, telling the story that we want to tell, whatever the conversation is, and being less reactive. Whenever you have to be reactive, you're not typically as effective because you're just responding to something that's coming at you versus having the opportunity to tell the story, what you want to tell, the facts as they correctly are. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Uh, so I guess, was it uh, an easy sell for the, for the uh, family to tell them, hey, we're, we're moving to Dallas? <laughs> my wife is actually from the Plano area, spent a number of years there earlier. Uh, my daughter was very excited about it as well. So, uh, you know, we're leaving a very strong uh, support system here in a sense of a lot of friends and family here, our friends specifically here. So that's always difficult, but very excited about moving to the Dallas area again, being associated with DSC uh, and uh, just very, very eager to get there and, and get to work, meeting people, uh, getting involved uh, and looking forward. Well, so here we are. This is just the uh, infantile stages of of uh, this this new phase of your life. But what what goals, if you had to just say maybe just one thing even that you'd like to have uh, you know see realized for the club in the next three to five years, what would what would one be? You know, for me, and this may be a little general, but to effectively carry out the mission of DSC, recognizing those very strong tenets: conservation, science-based management education and protecting hunters rights that, that that weaves through so many different facets but to hear the needs of the board of the members and very effectively carry that forward fulfilling the mission and very passionately fulfilling the mission of DSC. Mm-hmm. well and I, so i i just got back from south africa my first ever uh trip over there and I, i'll just uh leave you with this thought um so the the ph that owns the operation was we're hunting on thirty thousand acres and and we're, we actually taped a a segment for the radio over there in his trophy room and I said Carl if American hunters didn't come to South Africa and, and, and spend the money that they do what would be on this 30,000 acres right now and he said probably 5,000 goats or be turned into agriculture because if these animals don't have a value you know we still have to make a living you know 
and that's Absolutely. the and that's and that's that's across the board all over the planet you know if it pays it stays uh, i think that's exactly that's, right that that's, is the reality yeah yeah um well let me uh, ask you here what and you might not even have time because you'll be so busy with this new job but i uh, hope that you have made uh time to get into uh, the woods um this fall do you have any upcoming uh, hunts on the calendar yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, so a couple of things. So my family just recently returned uh, in June. We made a trip to Australia, which is phenomenal, uh, great experience. And uh, we had the opportunity for my wife and I both to take uh, water buffalo. It was oh. a great experience. Uh, and uh, so so that was uh, fairly recently. Looking forward into the calendar, like I mentioned earlier, I have a young daughter. Last year she was fortunate to take her first whitetail. And I should say maybe I was fortunate because I had the opportunity to be sitting right beside mm. her. Mm-hmm. and experience that through the eyes of a, of a parent um, and a wildlife biologist and hunter and all that. So it was a, just a tremendous experience. So so my plan is this fall are to get her outdoors as many times as possible. Um, and uh, late in the year, my father and I always make a, an annual mule deer hunt out in the Permian Basin uh, that I always look forward to. So that that's what's on the calendar in the near future. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, that Australia trip, that's, that's one that's on my bucket list someday. So I'm sure that was, was incredible. Wonderful. I mean, we had the opportunity to tour around a few days and great experience to just to just see the, you know, the, the outback and, and uh, interact and see and just uh, some of the most friendly people in the world. It's just a great experience all the way around. Well, cool stuff, my friend. Well, hey, we are excited about uh, what the future holds for you and, and for Dallas Safari Club and, and their mission going forward. Uh, I think you're obviously the uh, the right guy for the job. And, and when I got the press release that you had been selected, I was just like, oh, that's awesome. We have a, a little bit of history there, and uh, it's always been a it's always been enjoyable visiting with you. So uh, now we get to do it once a quarter. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you for the for the support there, and, and I absolutely look forward to working with you, however I possibly can. All right, buddy. Well, hey, thanks again. Thank you very much. Thanks All for right. your time. Take care. Bye. So there he goes, Dallas Safari Club incoming executive director Corey Mason. Uh, really looking forward to working with a uh, new face, but an old familiar friend. Uh, from Texas Parks and Wildlife. He's going to do a great job for DSC. And that segment of the show brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Optics. Check out the new Pulsar Trail. I just put one on my 223. It is, when you talk about revolutionary thermal technology, it's a game changer. It's got an internal recorder, so you can video everything you're seeing right there through the optic is the Pulsar Trail, and you can find it at PulsarNV.com and save 20% if you use the promo code Lone Star. Well, let's take a quick break. Up next, we'll take our rifles out of their cases, get them a little dirty, and uh, you know, hopefully you've been putting in the time, not just at the range, because I tell you what, that might be a waste of time, my friends. My Once your rifle is zeroed and dialed in, yeah, too. uh-huh. Some things to think about up next with New York Times best-selling author, Former Army Ranger sniper Ryan Kleckner joins us right here on the Lone Star Outdoors show. So I got my daddy's name stitched across my chest. And now I can drop a man from about two clicks. I wonder if he's proud of me yet. 
Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Hey everybody, this is Bruce Robinson and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm taking my heartache to Houston. There's nothing I can do except maybe a change of scenes in New Orleans around the Baton Rouge. Little Bruce Robinson, heartache to Houston, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I think uh, each and every one of us are sending our well wishes and and uh, prayers for all the heartache in Houston here over the last 10 days. And don't forget the uh, the surrounding areas uh, just ravaged by Harvey. Uh, I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here. As You know, one good thing uh, about this tragedy is the way that people have responded and joined together. Despite race, religion, politics, all that stuff flies out the window when true tragedy strikes. So I applaud all of you Texans and and all of our friends from other states who listen to the show and who, whether they donated money or they came down with their own boat, uh, everyone's made a difference. Anyway, we've got a a cool couple segments here lined up with former Army Ranger sniper Ryan Kleckner, award-winning New York Times best-selling author. But before we get into how all of us can become better rifle hunters, this segment of the show is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. And to do so, check us out at biggame.org. All right, uh, well, let's go ahead and bring him on right now. Like I said, former... Army Ranger Sniper, uh, New York Times bestselling author, and uh, recently featured in the premiere, that's right, the first issue of this magazine I'm pretty excited about. It's called Carnivore. It's my pleasure to welcome Ryan Kleckner to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, well, today I want to talk some uh, rifle shooting tips. As obviously, hunting season is here for a lot of folks, fast approaching for others, and we'll dive into your recent piece in the brand new Carnivore magazine. Uh, but first, tell us a little bit about your background. I know you are a former Army Ranger sniper, uh, author, yeah. attorney, jack of all trades, really. <laughs> I, I do it all, apparently. Yeah, I, well, I grew up in the Southwest. I grew up in Arizona. So uh, hunting elk in northern Arizona up on the Kaibab Plateau is kind of what it's all about for me. Um, so I, I understand what some of your hunting might be like in Texas, you know, some, some plains, some high deserts and things like that. So I get it. Um, Minus actually bow hunted an awful lot when I was a kid. I mean, uh-huh. I, I definitely make my living with firearms now. And I definitely, you know, my first, first elk was a cow elk with my dad's old 30 out six. So, uh, I still rifle hunt, but I got into bow hunting for quite a while there too. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, had yeah, the military. I was in first ranger battalion out in Savannah, Georgia and ended up moving over to the sniper section and had a couple deployments with them and decided I had fun, but time to go do other things. <laughs> we appreciate out. your service. I think everyone should 
do it. Honestly, mm. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to a couple of years for everybody. Cause it helped me grow up. Uh-huh. Um, went back to school, started getting bored after having such a high paced life in the military and wanted another challenge. And so I just about threw darts at the wall and decided law school sounded fun, uh, or at least a challenge. So I went and did law school and moved up to Connecticut, not very gun friendly up there. <laughs> had to hide what I did actually. And I started working for the trade association for the farms industry. And then I got snagged up by uh, Remington, the, that conglomerate and all the companies underneath there and traveled like crazy for years. And finally said enough of this. I have a, a small family. So I went and hung up my own shingle as an attorney and uh, started, started writing, representing, you know, uh, gun clients and FFLs all across the country. And, and here I am today. Right on. Well, good deal. And uh, and now and how I came across your work was in this. Uh, it's a brand new magazine. This the first issue just came out. It's uh, Carnivore, and I guess that's put out by Recoil. Um, and I really enjoyed just not just your piece, but the whole publication. Uh, I encourage folks to check it out. Uh, but let's talk about your featured piece in here, uh, which is get your ass off the bench. And, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, this holds true for everyone because how much time are you really wasting if you're shooting your rifle over and over again off a bench? Once it's zeroed, once you've selected the right bullet and you're, you know, you're, you've got a good group at a hundred, 200 yards after that, um, you're not going to be hunting like that. None of the shots are going to be, you'd like to think that they're all going to be, uh, you're going to have time to set up and, and take five minutes to take, make the shot, but that's not realistic. And so I thought this was a great article um, as you kind of walk through some other things that folks need to be practicing. So well, let's, uh, let's get into some of those right here. And, and I think you right. agree as a, you know, uh, an army ranger sniper that the prone position is probably still the most effective. Um, it's going to give you the most accuracy. Right. Well, this all starts with two things that we need to kind of all agree on, which is the better trigger control you have and the more stable you are, the more likely you're going to hit your target. Mm-hmm. Right. Now that's oversimplifying it. Of course you have to have it zeroed and you have to have the right adjustments on your scope and you have to know the right distance and it can go on and on and on. But really when people miss, when I, I used to train students for years and when they miss it more often than not, it's improper trigger control or it's an unstable platform. So when you're out in the field and you don't have shooting benches out there in the field, you need to get as stable as possible. And the general rule is the lower you are to the ground, the more stable you are. So the higher up you get, the less stable you are, right? I mean, the least stable position for all of us is standing as high as you can get from the ground. The lowest is the prone. It's the most stable. And gradually as you get higher and higher, you have to overcome some of that instability with some tips and tricks. But yeah, prone's great, but I don't know about you, Cable, but how many times have you taken a hunting shot in the prone? Uh, well, I just got back from Africa, and surprisingly, it was common over there, but here in North America... Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in North America, pretty much never. <laughs> There's yeah. always something in the way, you know? That's why I used to tell the military and police sniper students, too. You know, Same thing. You Give them the prone and tell me what you see. Curbs and wheels. Yep. Right? In, the, in the woods, you see grass and rocks. And the other thing you see is the animals running away because you dove from standing to prone. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's We all would prefer that position, but when you really think back about how many times you use it in the real world, not very often. 
Mm-hmm. Most most of the time, you take a knee. Maybe you lean up against a tree or a rock or try and use your pack, which is great because that higher up off the ground means you need to get some you know, extra stability going on. But it's just being creative in what's around you to make a good platform right. can not only make a, a good hit uh, because it was stable itself, but it can also make a good hit because you're not shaking because you're so uncomfortable after waiting 20 minutes for that you know, elk to come around the tree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, even in the prone position um, in South Africa, we, we found some a really nice warthog uh, through the spotting scope. Stalked within 1,000 yards. I mean, stock, made about 1,000 yards stock and then got to within 260 yards. And I was laying in the mm-hmm. prone position for so long, waiting for him to wake up because he was asleep, just laying there. When he woke up, I was so uncomfortable that that was really the only bad shot I made while I was over that. <laughs> we, we ended up finding him, but I hit him like two inches high. And like you said, it just went back to comfort. I was laying there, and you know my back's killing me on the side of this rocky yeah. cliff, and it was very, very uncomfortable. Um, but so, like you said, uh, taking a knee is popular. Um, but let's let's start at the beginning. So, you uh, you mentioned get your arm in a sling here. Walk us through yeah. exactly what you mean there. All right. Well, it's a sling on a gun. I think is is a tool. It's not an accessory strap like a purse strap. It's actually something you use to shoot better. And if you've got a rifle, it should have a sling on it. Mm-hmm. And just like a handgun should have a holster. Uh, the sling can add some really quick, hasty stability. So hasty meaning just put your arm in a sling quickly. You're not taking forever getting into an Olympic shooting position. But if you have the sling adjusted to the right length, and it takes a little bit of setting up to make sure it's right for you. Um, by the way, uh, the reason you were uncomfortable in the prone is because I would bet your rifle and scope aren't set up for you, Cable. Okay. Um, you should be able to lay, you should be able to spend days behind it and not have your back and neck sore. Yeah. But anyway, so you get your, your sling set up. Um, you can put your support arm. So I'll just assume, since most people are right-handed, we'll just pretend we're all right-handed right now. You take your left arm and put it all the way through the sling. So the sling gets up high behind the top of your tricep. Or if you're not working out as much as you should, where your tricep should be, <laughs> you you wrap your arm then clockwise around the sling once, so your hand gets back up underneath the stock. And what this does is it makes a tight fit, so that one you don't have to grip the gun, because the more we impart our control on the gun, the worse the gun does. Uh-huh. Right? Any one of the gun you buy is going to do better in a vice than it does in your shoulder, right? Absolutely. So the more you can remove the human element, so you're not you know death gripping the gun with your left hand especially if buck fever's kicking in or you've just been hiking up a mountain. That's going to help. But the other thing the sling does is when it's tight, it helps pull the rifle back into your shoulder. So I'll show students when they get slung up, and I'll grab the sling and give it a twist with my hand, and they'll show how much the rifle yanks back under their shoulder as you twist the sling. And you can then modify that with slinging up in the kneeling, even in the standing positions or what I consider a high prone or a seated position. You can do an awful lot with the sling. Mm-hmm. Okay. So good insight there. And uh, even on like, uh, you know, some of the popular platforms out there like uh, Kofi Edgar Industries, Reaper Rest, uh, some of the other ones um, that have become very popular in Texas, especially for, for hog hunters, guys that are using thermal, but, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. tripods, uh, they have straps where you actually put your foot in it. And that uh, kind of acts as the same way as what the sling does. It's kind of an anchor point. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I had the article there. You could see me putting my hand in the sling. Uh-huh. Whenever I use a tripod or shooting sticks, I'll t- and I can, I'll take my support hand and push down in the sling. And what that does is it yanks 
down on the rifle equally in the front and the back of the rifle at the same time, and it'll make a wobbly rifle rock steady. Mm-hmm. It, it's a really cool trick. Okay. Well, let's hit on the next tip. Uh, take a knee. That's uh, you know obviously very popular. Well, if you're again right-handed, it's easiest to put down your right knee, and you can either sit on your right foot on the side of your foot if you can want to get low, or you can sit up on the heel of your right foot with your toe in the dirt to get a little higher. And then you just adjust where your left foot is, either further out or closer to your body, depending on how high you want your knee up in the air to rest your left, you know, not elbow on, but just pass behind your elbow on. That's really handy, but that's a natural position for most people. I just said take a rifle and take a knee to get a resting shot. The problem is you need to reverse it when you're resting on something. So people will take a knee and then also rest the stock of the rifle on a rock or a branch or something, mm-hmm. you know, in tandem. And the problem with doing your normal kneeling position with a rest is you have all the support at the front. Your knee is up front to support your your left arm, and you also have the thing that you're resting on up front, but nothing's in the back. So what you end up finding is the rifle moves around in the back a lot from your breathing because your, you know, your back is either kind of straight or arched up trying to hold the rear of the rifle. So when you're going to rest on something, actually switch your knees. Hmm. Throw your left knee down in the dirt and keep your right knee up. And then you can put your right elbow, your back elbow on that right knee. Now you have a support in the back for the gun and a support in the front with whatever you're resting on. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and for folks that need more of a visual aid here, uh, you can, I mean, you've got pictures of all of these positions in that uh, article in Carnivore, so they can find them there. Uh, also sit down on the job. So basically just sit down on your ass Indian style, but you can get a, you know, a solid rest that way as well. You can. It's it's difficult though. Um, it takes a lot of practice. I'll be honest. I'm not. Very I like it because it. it's fun. But yeah. yeah, it's it's if you master it, it's great, and it's one of the things that you just put in your toolbox. And if you need it someday, you use it. But if you haven't been practicing it, you know, don't do it. I was trying to figure out if I could do it in Africa, and my left elbow, I could just never get it comfortable enough to 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 have that that anchor point and get you know right. where I would have felt I was taking an ethical shot at an animal. So. Well, and the only reason to do it, though, is if you can't get anything else more stable. Sure, sure. Uh, well, Brian, hey, I think this is a good stopping point. I do want to come back. There's a couple other positions, one that is uh, probably my favorite and the one that I've used the most uh, when it comes to backcountry anyway. And then also, uh, folks need to lower their expectations. You're not going to hit a silver dollar at 200 yards every time when not shooting off a bench. And I, and I think that uh, that can't be... Uh, overlooked as well. So are you cool to stick around for another segment? Yeah, I got some time. Perfect, perfect. And that segment was brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas premier seed company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed buck forage oats. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at one 610 seed today Up next, we continue honing in our rifle hunting skills with former U.S. Army Ranger sniper and New York Times best-selling author Ryan Kleckner right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT 
or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Tell my brother and sister I miss them most I bless them each day with the Son and Holy Ghost I thank you, Lord, for letting me be set free I may run with the devil I may run with the devil I may run with the devil But it's never catching up Table Smith, welcoming each and every one of you back to the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. Our longtime presenting sponsors, Run With The Devil, a little Bark Crow there for you. The mood is certainly somber this week uh, across the Lone Star State, and and, uh, I know the country as a whole is hurting for us as well. We certainly appreciate all the thoughts and prayers. Keep them coming because we need them. Ryan Kleckner, former U.S. Army Ranger sniper, is still on the line with us, and we will continue uh, dialing in that rifle for hunting season here in just a second. But first, this segment of the show brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. Now, if you haven't checked out the 600-pound stand-and-fill, it has changed the game. No more backing your truck up. No more having to haul a ladder to the deer lease or to your ranch. You simply walk up to the feeder and dump your corn or protein in it. It is that easy. Uh, so check it out. It's the All Seasons Feeder. And they actually have a 300-pound model as well, but it's the Stand and Fill, and you can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Uh, okay, well, let's jump back into it here with author Ryan Kleckner. Uh, we're discussing his feature, Get Your Ass Off the Bench, which uh, was featured in the premiere issue of Carnivore Magazine. And we're talking about some of the more impromptu shooting positions that you're likely to incorporate uh, out in the field. We discussed a couple of them before the break, but uh, Ryan, one that I've used quite a few times and feel very comfortable shooting this way is in the backcountry, take your pack off, put it in front of you, wrap your arms around it, basically give it a big bear hug and use that as your rest. And man, uh, that's actually pretty solid, all things considered. Yeah, well, I, I actually like shooting off my pack even in the prone. Uh-huh. That's how much of a fan of shooting off my pack I am. I don't like shooting off my bipod legs if I can help it, you know, if I, even for, like, tactical long-range-style shooting. I think a pack is a more consistent platform, and if I'm going to be in that position for a while, I have all my snacks and water right there within arm's reach. <laughs> it's right in front of me. Um, but in the seated position, especially if you've been glassing, you know, down a hill, you're up on, that, you know, up on the hill and you're looking down, a pack is great just to throw in your lap. 
And yeah, you, you wrap your uh, support arm around the pack and throw the middle of the rifle on the pack, and it can be really stable. Um, you can also get the pack out in front of you, depending on how tall your pack is. And you can be kneeling and resting behind your pack. And there's an awful lot you can do with it. And just for some reason, people overlook the things they have with them. You know, a trekking pole. Some guys like to walk with trekking poles. Those make a great field expedient, you know, uh, a rifle rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sides of trees, not just limbs. You know, I'm used to, you might be too, trees that... The limbs are always up higher. They're not down low that you can rest on. You know, so being able to use your support hand and and pinch the rifle up against a tree uh, by using either a bipod leg or a sling can also be a really handy thing. It's just people don't spend, in my experience, don't spend as much time thinking about these types of things before the hunt, so they're not ready to use them while they're in the hunt. Sure, sure. Well, and one, and you just mentioned, you know, using a tree, and I have done that on many occasions, uh, especially. Spot and stock hunting, um, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes you, you're fortunate enough to find a crook in a tree, and that makes for a, a pretty solid rest. But like you said, um, when you're standing, you've got a picture of yourself here. And I'd say it's like, uh, it looks more like billiards. You know, you kind of got your finger out, and that's what's supporting the uh, the rifle because yeah. it's mm-hmm. up against the tree as opposed to resting on a branch. And so when you're at the range, if your range will allow you to do this, after your gun's zeroed, and especially if you have, you know, 200 yards to do it, go put a paper plate up at 200 yards. And most guys now with modern ammo and modern scopes and all this, you know, education going up along your would laugh at a paper plate at 200 yards of how easy that is. Well, stand up and lean up against one of the 4x4 four four posts, you know, holding up the Ramado over your head and hit the, hit the paper plate. And if you can, great. That's the kill zone on a large animal. You know, that's the kind of practicing I'd rather see someone do, you know, or mm-hmm. stand up drop to any, you really want to take it far, do a few jumping jacks, get your heart rate up first, grab your rifle, drop to a knee, and hit the paper plate now. Not when you feel like it or when you've had a chance to calm down because the target is often the one that decides when it's time to shoot, not you. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, I think you would be a much better shooter than the guy who spends all day on the bench rest and reloading his groups to get to these fractions of an inch at 100 yards and to get right. super proud of this tiny group. But yeah. he's not going to be able, even able to hit that paper plate at 200 because he doesn't know how to shoot when it's not on a bench. Right. So if you're going to pick one for hunting, I'd rather have practical accuracy. Now, there's nothing wrong with bench rush shooting and reloading and getting the best groups you can, but that's not training for hunting. It's not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, to, and, and I don't do any competition shooting, so to me that's just a means to getting my rifle dialed in to use it for yeah. another application. And and you talk about you need to lower your expectations. Like you said, don't expect to go out there and hit a three-inch group at 200 yards. Hit the pie plate, and, you know, that that's going to kill an elk, and it's going to kill a whitetail. It's basically any big game animal we have in North America, you're going to be fine. You just can't, you, you know, you just can't expect to hit dead center every time. Right. I think that comes down to being realistic. You know, we, we all have the memory of how great the shot was when really, if we're honest with ourselves, most hunting scenarios, most, not all, you probably can't guarantee, especially at 200 yards, exactly where in that, like I said, pipe plate you're going to hit. But as long as you're in there, you're okay. It's not always exactly where you wanted the bullet to be. You're off on the distance, the animal's moving, something's happening. So practice for that. You know, Get the rifle zeroed, understand the capabilities of the rifle, and then head out there when it's raining. Head out there when, you, when you're tired after work. Yeah. You know, and do things that aren't normal. I'm not. Don't be hanging upside down off the roof, but just shoot off your knees and, and see what you can do. And if you can't hit the the paper plate, 
great. At least you know what your failure is now before you missed the animal. Sure. Now you can practice, and you should be practicing with your gun dry. Yeah, I'm a big believer that you should dry, dry fire a rifle more than you can fire it with live ammo. It's not, I'm not kidding. That's, that's the way you get good at shooting, hmm. is watching your reticle and dry firing over and over and seeing if it was within the paper plate when it went click. Yeah. And if you're not hitting the paper plate very well, I, I'll guarantee you if you stop, take the ammo out of the gun, even though everyone else is shooting, and practice dry firing, and once you get 10 perfect clicks, it might take you 50 times to do it, but once you got your 10th perfect click, go ahead and put the ammo back in and watch what happens. You're going to probably hit the paper plate. So, right. right. Yeah, and you, yeah. and you mentioned that here in the article, is that all of these situations, um, the rifle's going to be floating just a hair. It's not like, you're, not like it's locked down on a vice on the shooting bench. And so it's more of mm-hmm. once you have, like you said, that rifle in the kill zone, it, that's when you pull the trigger. You're not waiting for the perfect shot because it's, it's likely not going to yeah. happen because the animal dictates that more often than not. So, do, do you mind if I, if I do a shameless plug on this topic? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, Cable and I discussed, I, he looked me up for the article, but I, I wrote a book a year and a half ago that accidentally became uh, the best-selling shooting book on Amazon for it's been the full year and a half now. So every month, for 18 months, it's called the Long Range Shooting Handbook, and I'm just so flattered and happy that it's done so well. Um, I donate 25% to military charities. That was a lot easier to do before I knew it was going to sell so many. <laughs> um, we're at about 28,000 copies out there. So if you haven't heard of it, go pick it up. I mean, people are loving it, and I think it's because I break down this complicated stuff simply. But I have a whole section in there, uh, a whole part of a chapter called Acceptable Accuracy, and it's what you're talking about, Cable. It's If you do what I know you and everyone else does, because I've done it too, and you have that internal mantra in your head where you're going, no, a little bit left, a little bit more, no, nope, a little higher, a little higher, right about now. <laughs> We've all yeah. done that. Oh, yeah. And that is a recipe for failure. That is not how you shoot accurately, especially not how you shoot accurately in the real world. In the real world, you define what your target is. To me, it's the pie plate on the elk. I'm not, it's the opposite of the whole aim small, miss small theory, and I don't want to overstate it, but the point is, I'm happy anywhere in that zone. I'm the one that defines that size of a target. Okay, well, you might not be happy unless you're the size of a three-inch group. Great. Then you now have defined your target. You have that three-inch circle you're looking at. I'm fine with the pipe. Once your reticle is <laughs> in there. Okay, so am I. Yeah. But, I mean, the point is you're the one that's determining how big of the target is. Sure. And if you want to aim small, miss small, great. Make the target small. But once your reticle is within that target, and I don't mean when it passes through it, but once you're wobbling around within that zone, I can get my reticle to wobble around within the pie plate. But the problem is instead of shooting – most people take the time to get to the dead center of the pie plate, and then they jerk the trigger, which invariably misses the pie plate completely because they jerk the reticle completely off the pie plate. Uh-huh. Instead, if while the reticle's moving around the pie plate, if I just start adding pressure to the trigger and the gun goes off, as long as it was somewhere in the pie plate, that's called a hit. Yeah. So I would, I would take a hit on the edge of the pie plate any day over a jerking the trigger miss because I was trying to hit the dead center. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's funny. You said you used that word, the term. Uh, you know, as long as you're wobbling within the target, uh, then then pull the trigger, uh, because people like I don't want to people people don't want to think that they're wobbling. You know, but 
<laughs> that's the, or that's at least the reality. Add pressure while you're wobbling. <laughs> yeah. Keep trying to get more stable if you want, but add that pressure, add the pressure, add the pressure, and keep trying to center it up. Yeah. yeah. And who cares if you didn't get there? Uh, you're going to be more successful than somebody else who's trying to to control what's happening more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the book, once again, Long Range Shooting Handbook, available on Amazon. Um, Ryan, if you want to give us your website. If you want to learn more about me or the other books or all the too many projects I have going on, you can check it out at ryankleckner.com. And I appreciate all the support, and thanks for having me on, Cable. Thanks again for your service, and uh, I'll look forward to reading your next piece uh, in an upcoming issue of Carnivore. Awesome. Thanks, man. So there he goes, Ryan Kleckner. I uh, hope you all found that useful. I know here in Texas, a lot of us sit in deer blinds, and and that's how we do the majority of our hunting. So you're always going to have a solid rest. Um, for anyone that wants to still hunt or take a walk through the woods, uh, hunt the backcountry, that is not a reality. Um, nothing wrong with that. I sit in a blind, too. I've got a beautiful, comfy, all-seasons blind on my deer lease. Um but there are plenty other times uh, when, like I said, you're not going to have that rest. So uh, anyway, I found it useful. Uh, great magazine, by the way, Carnivore. Y'all check it out. Uh, really impressed with their first issue. Uh, that segment was brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, and Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner and enjoy Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. Um, man, just looking at the clock here, unfortunately, we got to go. Got to get out of here. I uh, hope everybody in the north and central zones has a great opening weekend of dove season. Uh, in other states, I know y'all's uh, whitetail seasons are opening up for archery. Folks are headed into the backcountry. I've already seen antelope, even elk, mule deer being harvested. Uh, I'm heading to Colorado next week with a muzzleloader muley tag and an over-the-counter archery elk tag. Can't wait for that. Uh, y'all be safe out there. Make sure you have a satellite phone if you are heading to the backcountry and are planning on, on getting off the grid. Stay safe. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Keep Houston and the Texas coast in your thoughts and prayers. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I was born in the rain on the Ponta train Underneath the Louisiana moon don't mind the strain of a hurricane They come around every June The high black water, a devil's daughter She's hot, she's cold, and she's mean